Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 following. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem and were near to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them into the village ahead. Just as you enter, he said, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them here. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the master needs them and there will be no trouble. This was done to fulfill the ancient prophecy, tell Jerusalem her king is coming to her, riding humbly on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus said. They brought the animals to him and threw their garments over the colt for him to ride on. And some in the crowd threw down their coats along the road ahead, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out before him. Then the crowd surged on ahead and passed along, shouting, God bless King David's son. God's man is here. Bless him, Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was stirred as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, up in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and drove out the merchants and knocked over the money changers' tables and the stalls of those selling doves. The scriptures say my temple is a place of prayer, he declared, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And now the blind and the cripple came to him, and he healed them there in the temple. And when the chief priests and the other Jewish leaders saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the little children in the temple shouting, God bless the son of David, they were disturbed and indignant, and they asked him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, Didn't you ever read that scripture that says, Even little babies shall praise him? Amen. May God add his blessing to this part of his holy word. Last Thursday afternoon, I had the service at the funeral home for Aunt Kitty Farrier, a great old Christian who was known and loved by many of us here. As I came into the back of the funeral parlor, the director came over and whispered to me that Hank Aaron had just knocked the 714th home run, tying Babe Ruth's record. I almost announced it at the funeral service. I, I, I did because Aunt Kitty would have chuckled had she, uh, had I done that, and she's laughing about it today anyway. Uh, she, uh, she would have been pleased because the joy which is hers at having entered into the joys of her Lord are far greater than anything Henry Aaron will ever know even when he breaks Babe Ruth's record. Well, there was a day when there was great cheering when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He rode into Jerusalem Number one, because he had been born into this world to fulfill a prophecy regarding the coming of a king. Matthew is careful always to show us how Jesus is the fulfiller of the Old Testament. If you have a good library of books that deal with the Bible, you're sure to have what is called a harmony of the Gospels, something that gives you parallel accounts of what occurs in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll find the record of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem in all 
of those four records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But also, God has given us a greater harmony, for he has harmonized the Old Testament with the New Testament. He has shown us in Matthew's record of the gospel how Jesus had fulfilled what was being prophesied and spoken about by the prophets. And one of the things that the prophets kept on predicting was that God had one who would one day be born and he would be king, but he was going to be different from any other king. In Isaiah 53, we are told that he would bear the sins of many. In Isaiah 53, we are told that his countenance would be marred and that there was something about him that would call people to turn away, and there still is. When you proclaim the crucified Lord and what it means to follow him, there are multitudes who will turn away. They will not have him as deity, as God incarnate in human flesh. They will not have a crucified Savior nailed on a cross whose blood has been spilled to take away their sin. Isaiah 53 means nothing to them. They are not willing to say that the chastisement of our peace is upon him and by his stripes I am healed. They see him only as a historical figure, a great religious teacher. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing other than that. But that's wrong. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus said about himself because the Bible predicted, one, that the king would come. And when that king came into Jerusalem, it was funny before that when he had wrought great miracles one day and had fed a multitude of 5,000 men plus the women and children that had also eaten from that little boy's loaf, uh, to loaves and fishes. I've often thought about that little lunch that was packed. The mother that packed that little lunch that day didn't realize how many people she would be feeding before the day was over. Think of what happened to it when Jesus blessed it and broke it and gave it to the multitude. Well, John's record of the gospel tells us that right away the crowd wanted to rush to Jesus and make him by force king and that Jesus refused it. He would not be the bread man. He ran away from that. He said, no, labor not for the meat which perishes. Not that he was not concerned about physical hunger and needs, because he is. He knew what it was to be hungry. But because that is not the primary thing. And he wanted us to know that. Well, why is it that now he is willing to accept the plaudits and the praises of the multitude? It is because at last he knows, uh, he had known, that it will now fall upon him to fulfill all of those Old Testament prophecies concerning the king. You remember when he was born? Herod had the wise men come to him. You remember what they had said, that they were searching for he that was born to be king of the Jews. They wouldn't have him. And they won't have him today either. There are many people who won't have him as king. 
but he came to usher in a kingdom. He came to usher in a kingdom, and so when it was time for him to offer up his life as a ransom for many, Matthew tells us, he came to Jerusalem. He called a couple of his disciples and told them to go into the village. And there they would ask a man for a little donkey. He must have planned this demonstration. It's an acted out parable. Jews had come from every place to attend the feast of the Passover. And so here he begins to show that he is the fulfiller of all of those Old Testament prophecies relating to the coming king. They come with the little donkey, and I've thought about that little donkey many, many times. Solomon would send to Egypt or to Arabia and bring the finest of all of the horses to be his. If a Roman emperor had come into the city, he would have been in a chariot gilded with gold with a milk-white horse pulling it. But Jesus, Jesus comes in riding on the back of a little brown, grayish donkey. His disciples threw their coats over it. What a blessed little donkey that must be. Of all the donkeys ever born in the world, I would love to have been that one. <laughs> Just think. What a joy. Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, the first person ever to ride on the back of that little donkey. And the crowds came out and they cheered and they cheered. You know, at the Passover feast, as many as two million, and that's an accurate figure, as many as two million pilgrims would come to the city of Jerusalem for the Passover during Jesus' lifetime. They would bivouac or camp out for miles outside the city of Jerusalem. The word had gotten round that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. The word had gotten round about lepers that he had cleansed. The word had gotten round about lame men that walk and blind men that could see. The word had gotten about, about those gracious words that fell from his lips, those three swift, short years that have changed the whole of human history are now sweeping to their close. And so no wonder the crowds come. And they come cheery. They, according to the Gospel of John, they break off palm branches. We say that someone who wins the palm has won an honor. When we speak of palmy days, we are speaking of days of great prosperity. Well, the people broke away the palm branches, and they began to wave them in the air and shout, Hosanna, praise be to God. Blessed is God's anointed. Here he comes. And the great sweep of emotion was waving across all of the people. They shouted to him as king. They shouted to him as king, but the tragedy is that for many of them he was king only for a day. 
There used to be a radio program that originated in Chicago called Queen for a Day. Some of you have seen it or heard it. It later came onto television so you could see it. And the people who heard it and saw it would see uh, how people came with their heartbreaking stories. And the audience would vote and one person would be elected queen for the day and would be given a great many honors and prizes and material gifts. But after a while, they would have to go back and face those same old burdens again. Queen for a day. There are a lot of people who would love to have Jesus king for just an hour. King for just Sunday. King for a little while, but not king all the time. Someone asked the question, what is the best form of government? And a good student said the best form of government would be a dictatorship. The best form of government would be to have a king who was perfect. And if you had a perfect king, then that would be the perfect government. Well, here's your perfect king. He came to be king. They shouted, Hosanna. Praise be to God. Bless his holy name. Here comes his servant, the king of David. And Jesus accepted these praises. He accepted these praises, and he reckoned himself to be the fulfiller of it all. Now, right away, it's necessary for him to go into the temple. The king not only entered the king city of Jerusalem, but the king entered the temple of God. And there he saw a horrible thing that had taken place. He saw how mercenary and calculating religious people could become. He saw how people would exchange currency from Gentile currency into Jewish currency, and they would make money on the exchange. And then how they would purchase turtle doves or pigeons or little offerings that were to be made. And Jesus has great anger that swells in him in rage. And what he does is to turn over the tables of the money changers and to make a, a, a whip out of a platter of cords and drive them out of the temple. And he says, it is written that my father's house is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What would he do if he came back to the church today? What would we do to him? Would we really want him to come in? Might he not overturn the tables of the money changers and upset the bureaucracy with his holy detachment from so much of what we are apt to give adherence to? Because what he wants most of all is to be king in our hearts. On his way out of the temple that day, he saw a fig tree that had a profusion of leaves and looked like it would have some fruit, and he was hungry. He would have pulled some of that early fruit and have eaten it. But when he got there, there was nothing but leaves, and that tree withered and was cursed. There's many a life that's like that. We not only need Christ to cleanse us from mercenary purposes, 
But we who are barren, who are not bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and remember, Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. We ought to come back to that. And then before the week is out, as we will observe on Thursday and upon Friday of this week, they nailed him on a cross, and the crime that he had committed was put in Latin and Greek and Hebrew. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Latin, the language of law. Greek, the language of culture. Hebrew, the language of religion. Jesus is king, all right. King in every area of life. And he died on that cross. He died. And the man standing there, the Roman soldier who looked up and saw him die, said, truly, this man is the Son of God. Later, God will bring him back from the dead. And next Sunday, when we celebrate life and we celebrate his resurrection from the dead, we will see that he is moving secondly toward the ushering in of a kingdom that we're in right now. The doors were flung open at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came. And the church fanned out all across the world to bring people of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation under the lordship of this king. And brother and sister, you believe me when Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. I spoke of Price Daniel a while ago because he wasn't ashamed of Jesus when he was a United States senator. He wasn't ashamed of Jesus when he was governor of Texas. He's not ashamed of Jesus as a justice of the Supreme Court of Texas. He owns his faith in him. Don't you be ashamed of Jesus Christ, or he'll be ashamed of you one day before you stand before him to be judged, no matter who you are. Well, that's the kingdom we're in now. He reigns by the Holy Spirit living in us. Jesus, someone has said, did not come so much just to get us into heaven like he did Aunt Kitty the other day, but he came to get heaven into us. Did you ever think about that? If you read about it sometime in the third chapter of Colossians, the kind of life that, where we take our reading on heaven, we are told, let this mind, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And what are those things which are above? Oh, you know what they are. Love, love to people that are not easy to love. Love that means I've got to go back and say I'm sorry when I've lost my temper. The joy of Jesus Christ, the fleeing of lustful things and dishonest things and lying things and crooked things, getting away from all of that. You know, you don't need all of that equipment of heaven 
in heaven. Do you? You need it down here. That's why we're supposed to be bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need it here. Now, how is Jesus going to make us what we ought to be? I spent a long time in my ministry trying to be like Jesus until finally it dawned upon me that I ought to let Jesus be like himself inside me and that that would be a more sensible way to do it. That doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that I'm perfect, but it means that I've got a perfect Savior who seeks to bring my life into harmony with his will and when I get astray he is telling me that I'm off the beam and he is bringing me back through his word does the word of God ever get boring to you and you wonder why does anyone see that that's inspiring why do they get all excited about these things maybe it's because our consciences aren't cleansed Someone has said that if you can't see spiritually, maybe it's because the windows are dirty. Maybe you better go scrub them. Maybe you need to seek the forgiveness of God for some, something in which Jesus really has not reigned, where he has not served as king. Well, he offers us that forgiveness, and that's why he died on the cross. And then my third and my final point is this. Not only did he come to usher in a kingdom such as reigned in the time in which he lived and which reigns now after Pentecost and Easter and Good Friday, but one day he's coming again. In the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation, we are told about that. And it would take the hallelujah chorus to explain it to you, and that's where Handel got it. When he spoke of the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. One day he's coming again. The king is coming back. And when he comes back again, as the stories that he tells all that week long in the temple will indicate, will he find you, will he find you taking seriously what he did with his life, taking seriously what he said, and seeking an application of it? Or has he been for you only king for a day? The king the day you joined the church or the king 20 years ago? Or is he king right now? John Wesley and Charles Wesley came into Christ, and when they did, they brought many wonderful talents with them. And Charles Wesley wrote a great hymn called Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, Joy of Heaven, Come Down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling." All thy faithful mercies crown. The last stanza of that hymn says that when we cast our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Queen Victoria 
who was a Christian, once said to someone that she hoped that she was still reigning when Jesus came back again so that she could take the crown of the British Empire and place it at his feet. Is he king of your life? If he is not, then you can make him king right now, not just for a day, but for always. Not that you become instantly mature, instantly all that a Christian ought to become, but instantly the king moves in and takes over his purchase and begins to govern and to control your life. He wants to be your king. Do you want him to be king? If you do, won't you in your own way ask him to come into your heart as we stand in prayer? And Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. O Father God, we thank Thee that the burden is light because Jesus is yoked to us, and that He never asks us to go anywhere that He does not go with us Himself, and that when He bids us to take up His cross, He carries the heaviest end of it Himself. Help us to know that the cross of Jesus is the sweetest burden that we shall ever bear. That it is such a burden as sails are to a ship and wings are to a bird. Help us, O blessed Father, to know Jesus as King. To know him not only as the King who was promised and the King who fulfilled all of those predictions in the Old Testament and ushered in a kingdom, but the king who is coming back one day, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is king to the glory of God the Father. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Father, and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with all of you now and forevermore.